Father's Day. It's always kind of a different thing for a pastor to preach on Father's Day. It's easier to preach on Mother's Day. You understand why? Um, you stand up here as a pastor and say, Praise us! <laughs> We're dads! <laughs> Look at all we've done! Well, this morning we look at a man of, of great faith in, in Luke chapter 7. And I'm not sure if he was a father, but he acted like a loving father on the behalf of his servant. Luke chapter 7, we read verses 1 through 10. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Father in heaven, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your spirit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Do you think that a pastor should be a man of great faith? Well, I must confess to you that there are times when I have not always been a man of great faith. I remember when we lived in Mankato and we served a congregation in the, in the city of St. James. Started meeting with just a small group of people, meeting in an old funeral home, very kind of a small living room, and, and uh, about 20 people would pack it out. And there was a man in that congregation after the service one day, he said, I want to show you our new church. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> And so he took me down the road, and there was this beautiful farm credit services building that was going to be up for sale. It had a nice, large open area, and then classrooms all the way around the building. And I said, oh, this is going to be our, our new church someday. He said, yep. And I have to confess, I thought, okay, you've got a little bit more faith than I do. And it was just a few months down the road, that was our new church building. It was amazing how God provided. The price was, was uh, unbelievably uh, low, and th- there we were. 
all me of little faith uh, compared to this man of, of great faith. You know, when Jesus spoke to his disciples about their faith, he didn't use the most glowing terms, did he? Several times he said to them that they had little faith. On one occasion he said they had no faith. And another time he asked them the question, where is your faith? In spite of all the miracles that they had seen, and in spite of all the things that Jesus had done to display his power and glory, there were times when they significantly doubted him. That's a contrast to this man that we see in our text today. Here was a man who probably didn't have the kind of knowledge that these disciples did. And yet notice what Jesus said about his faith. Verse 9, Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Among the people of God, he says, I haven't seen anything like this. This man of great faith. So what, what is a great faith like? If you look at the characteristics of a great faith, there are some things about faith that might surprise us. It might not be exactly what we picture it to be. So there's four things I want you to notice this morning. First of all, a man of great faith is conscious of his helplessness. Conscious of his helplessness. Now, this man was a centurion, a centurion in the Roman army. No doubt he had proven himself as a leader. And as the title implies, he was above 100 men. I believe see the, the word centurion. Men who were under his control. At his bidding, they would simply do what he wanted them to do. That's how it works in the military, doesn't it? Those of you who have been in the military... Uh, Sir, yes, sir, right? And so these men, if he said go, they'd go. If he said come, they'd come. He was in control. But as we meet him in our text, he is not in control, is he? Here is a man who is facing a battle that was well beyond his ability to win. We're told that his highly regarded servant is about to die. And there was nothing. There was not a thing that this man could do about it. He had no power over sickness, no power over death. And that's why he sent for Jesus. He sent for the one who had power over sickness, power over death, because he was helpless. Now some of you are probably wired like the centurion. You've proven yourself to be a leader. People follow you because they have confidence in your leadership. And you're one who can get things done. But you know what? Sooner or later, you're going to face a situation where you are absolutely helpless. You are going to have a need or someone you love, someone you care, is going to have a need that you can't meet. What are you going to do? Where are you going to turn? (laughs) I can tell you where you ought to turn. That's to Jesus. Here was a man who understood how helpless he was, and that moved him to turn to Jesus. 
Verse 3 says, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. I read a story about a little boy named Freddie. Uh, Freddie was a Christian boy, a devout believer. But as he got older, he started to become a little bit more self-sufficient. So one day his sister Jenny prayed, Lord Jesus, take care of Freddie today and keep him from harm. And Freddie stopped her and said, no, Jenny, Freddie can take care of himself now. He was, you know, pretty confident. Well, later that morning, he was climbing in a cherry tree and reaching out for some cherries, and he fell head first and got stuck between the tree and the fence. (laughs) And he was struggling and struggling and struggling to get out. And finally he said, pray, Jenny. Freddie can't take care of himself after all. Have you come to that place in your life where you realize you can't take care of yourself? You need Jesus. You need a Savior. You need one who can forgive you and cleanse you. You need Jesus. Are you aware of your helplessness? Has it caused you to cry out to Jesus? A man of great faith is conscious that he is helpless. He turns to Jesus. Notice, secondly, a man of great faith is convinced of his unworthiness. Convinced of his unworthiness. It's interesting to notice that when the centurion's servant was sick, he sent some Jewish elders to go to Jesus. Does that seem a little bit unusual? The Romans were occupiers of the land, and so the Jews didn't really appreciate the Romans, and so here's this Roman centurion, and, and he sends then these Jewish elders to go to Jesus. That would seem to be a little bit unusual to me. And I find it even more interesting that the Jewish elders willingly did that. And when they went to Jesus, they tried to convince Jesus that he should save this centurion's servant. Verse 3, when he had heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of the slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. For he loves our nation and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now think of that, a Roman soldier who loved the nation, was built, had built their synagogue. And so these Jewish elders, they come to Jesus and say, if anybody deserves this, it's this man. He is worthy, Lord, for you to answer his request. How could Jesus say no? Huh? How could he ever say no after all that this man had done for the people of Israel? That's a common way of thinking, isn't it? If someone has done some good things, God should reward them. After all, they are worthy of that. Look how good they've been. Look at how many wonderful things they've done. As if God then is obligated to do that, right? Worthy. I remember when my mother died, we were gathered in the funeral home for the visitation the night before the service. My dad was still alive. And my, one of my relatives came up to me 
And she said, after all that your dad and mom have done, I don't understand why your mother had Alzheimer's and your father has cancer. Now think about that. What is she saying? After all they've done, oh, if anybody's worthy of something, it would be them. And I told her, I said, you know what? I said, my mom and dad really don't look at it that way at all. They don't look at it that way at all. They realize they're they're not worthy of anything. They're not worthy of anything. It's the mercy and grace of God. That's what they lay hold of. Not that God should should do something for them as if God was indebted to them. You compare what the Jewish elders said about the centurion with what he said about himself. There's a striking difference, isn't it? The Jewish elders said he was worthy of receiving the answer to his request, but the centurion, he viewed it exactly the opposite. He said that he was neither worthy of coming to Jesus, nor was he worthy of Jesus coming to him. Verse 6, now Jesus started on his way with them. And then when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. And for this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Here's a man who understood the reality that we are not worthy of anything, right? We're not worthy of anything. Anything, as we can claim, God, you owe this to me. Look what I've done. Look who I am. Look at my position. Look at whatever. The hymn was song read, I am unworthy the least of his favors. Do you remember that song? Unworthy the least of his favors. Why was he convinced that he was unworthy? Some have suggested that he felt unworthy because he was a Gentile. Having spent time with Jews, maybe that's the impression he got that, you know, God really loved the Jews, but, you know, these dogs, these these Gentiles, and, and maybe that was part of it. But I think it went beyond that. The centurion was filled with a sense of personal unworthiness. And though he was a leader in the Roman army, he realized that, that he didn't deserve anything from Jesus. And that's what faith in Jesus is all about. We know we don't deserve anything, but we come to Him pleading His mercy, pleading His grace, because we know that that He's our only hope. That man knew that Jesus was His only hope. Nothing to do with being worthy. Notice thirdly, a man of great faith is encouraged by Christ's willingness. Luke tells us that the centurion sent for the Jewish elders to Jesus after hearing about him. Verse 3, when he had heard about Jesus, he sent these elders to him. What do you suppose he had heard about Jesus? You know where this took place? This took place in the city of Capernaum. What do we know about Capernaum? Jesus did many, many miracles in Capernaum. After casting out a demon from a man, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then Mark, in his gospel, 
uh, says this, Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 34. It says, When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And verse 33 says, And the whole city had gathered at the door. Isn't it? And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. The gospel writers make it clear that Capernaum was probably the city where more miracles were done than any other place. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 23, And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. So there were a lot of people in in Capernaum who had seen that miracle, those miracles, it had no impact on them. But it must have had some kind of impact on this man, knowing what Jesus had done, trusting that he would be willing to do for his servant. We can come to Jesus today for the same reason, because God's word is clear that he is willing to save us. And that we rejoice in, don't we? Those promises of God's word such as 2 Peter 3.9, He is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient with you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And Jesus said in John 6.37, The one who comes to Me, I will certainly not cast out. I love that promise. The one who comes to me, Jesus said, I will not cast you out. I will not push you away. Let the little ones come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Invitations like that over and over again in Scripture. Jesus is willing to save you. He does not want you to perish. And that's why we had to come to Him today. Confident that He is willing to receive those who come. Those who acknowledge their sin. Those who rest in what Christ has done. Trusting in Him. Notice finally that a man of great faith is confident of Christ's power. The confidence that the centurion had in the power of Jesus is seen in what he told his friends to say to Jesus. He said, Lord, don't trouble yourself further. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, verse 7, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. And then notice this statement. He said, but just say the word. Isn't that amazing? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. You don't need to come here. All you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. I don't know if he was thinking about creation. My mind goes back to creation, doesn't yours? God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke this world into creation with a word. I love how Psalm 33 describes it. Verse 6 through 9. 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke. And it was done. I love that. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. There's the power of the Word of God. And that's why this centurion said, Lord, just say the Word. That's all you need to do. We can have confidence in the power of this Word of God to create life, to create spiritual life, to bring someone from death to life who is dead in their trespasses and sins and power. Power in the Word. Now if you look at verse 8, you see a pretty awesome picture of how the centurion viewed this power. He, He compared it to the authority that he had over his soldiers. Verse 8, he says, For I also am a man placed under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. So what, what, was, the, what was the point he was making here? He's saying, just as I can command my soldiers to do whatever I want, so you can command whatever you want to happen, and it will happen. You can say to sickness, go, And it'll go. You can say to health and strength, come. It'll come. You can say to the body of my servant, be healed. And it shall be healed. There is power in your word. So this man believed that Jesus could do whatever he pleased. And that's why Jesus marveled at his faith. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And turned and said to the crowd following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Now there are two recorded times in the Gospels that say that Jesus marveled. Or that Jesus wondered about something. This is one of them. He marveled at this man's faith. Jesus also marveled at unbelief. The unbelief of the people of Nazareth, his hometown. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 6. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And Mark says they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then verse 6 says, and he wondered, he marveled at their unbelief. 
this community having grown up with Jesus? No ordinary man? I mean, can you picture? I often think of Mary you know, gathering with the ladies, talking over coffee or tea, and talking about their struggling with their kids, you know, they won't obey, and Mary just kind of sits there. Don't you ever have trouble with Jesus? No. He doesn't ever disobey? No. Is He always kind? Yes. Whoa. I mean, they they grew up among the, the perfect, sinless Son of God, and yet when He proclaimed the Word there in that synagogue, took the scroll of Isaiah and said, this is fulfilled in your eyes, uh, they wanted to throw him off the cliff. And he escaped. And he marveled. He marveled at their unbelief. Sometimes I wonder, well, does the Lord marvel more at our faith or our unbelief? Does he say, these, these people, they, they, they don't get it. I mean, my word is powerful. My word is trustworthy. And how many times do we, do we give in to worry and to doubt and to frustration as if we can't somehow trust God's Word. There was a mother who was quite concerned when her little boy came home from school with a big bump on his head. Six-year-old Bobby. And she was asking, what, how, how did this happen? And come here, we got to put some ice on it and all this. And, and backing forward or backwards to his bedroom, little Bobby said, Just a minute, Mommy, I want to talk to Jesus. <laughs> I want to talk to Jesus. And after his prayer was done, he cheerfully went out to play. And a few minutes later, his mother called him in and was going to put some ice on it. And, and, and Bobby didn't think that was needed. He had just brought his concern to Jesus. And so he said, Mommy, why don't you give Jesus a chance? Why don't you give Jesus a chance? Isn't that a good question for us today? Give Jesus a chance. Why are you worried about everything? Why are you frustrated about it? Why are you maybe trying to figure out ways to make it better yourself? Why not give Jesus a chance? This centurion said, I'm going to give Jesus a chance. There's a need here I can't meet. My servant is about to die. And, and Jesus is able to heal him. Jesus is able to restore him. And when that need was brought to Jesus, verse 10 says, When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Well, I'm not a soldier like the man in our text, and I don't have any slaves. But I'm a father. And there are times when as a father you can maybe identify with this centurion. Maybe your children, your grandchildren, uh, ones you love have, have great needs. And like the Roman centurion, you recognize that you're pretty helpless. Not a whole lot you can do. You're, you can't come to Jesus and say, Lord, I... You ought to answer this prayer. You know who I am. Right? You know what I've done. I'm, I'm worthy of, of you to, to hear me. We can be encouraged by Jesus' willingness. Encouraged by His power to do what we could never do. 
We could never do. Let me ask you, do you recognize that you are helpless today? Do you recognize that you are unworthy? Jesus is able to do what you could never do. I will just say what Bobby said. Mommy, why not give Jesus a chance? Turn to him. Put your trust in him. Confess your sin to him. Rest in Jesus today. He is able and he is willing to save you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the faith that we are given. He, the, the, your word makes it clear that faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of Christ. And may the word that we have heard today do something in our lives encourage, to strengthen us. Maybe there's someone here, Lord Jesus, who doesn't know you, who, who needs to come to faith in you, to trust in you as their Savior. Help them to see their, their helplessness and to cry out to you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy. And those of us, Father, who may have things in our lives, our families that are, are so far beyond what we are able to do, Lord, would you do your work according to your will, for your power and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.